right. Good evening, everyone. Tonight we're in Joshua, the eighth chapter. <laughs> yep. So somebody paid attention. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, tonight we and Joshua, y'all, y'all, y'all got it. Good job. Uh, somebody had a a friend of mine had sent me a a, a, a um a, um the message today was funny. Uh. He said, a minister told his congregation next week, I plan to preach about the sin of lying. To help you understand my sermon, I want you all to read Mark 17. He said, the following Sunday, as he prepared to deliver his sermon, the minister asked for a show of hands. He wanted to know how many read Mark 17. He said, every hand went up. He said, the minister smiled and said, Mark has only 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my sermon on the sin of lying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he said everybody hand went up when they said who is so oh boy that was funny um anyway so we're in the ninth chapter of joshua uh last week we looked at the defeat at ai uh after you know the chapter before they lost because of aiken's sin and so now this chapter nine deals with uh, uh, deception and it deals with the Gibeonites which one of the uh, Canaanite nations that Israel was supposed to um, defeat but something different is going to happen in this chapter so this is almost copying what happened with Rahab Rahab being uh, a uh, pagan who confessed faith in God and um, so now we're going to see something happening here with the Gibeonites this is a another um, group that Israel is confronting in their conquest of the land so let's go before the Lord in prayer uh, Lord we thank you for your word thank you Lord it is a light unto our feet and lamp unto our feet light unto our path Lord, bless us and refresh us as we study this, this word tonight. Lord, fill me with your spirit to teach this text well. And Lord, send your spirit to illuminate the truths from your word tonight. May Christ be glorified in everything we hear and everything we say tonight. Amen. So this is Joshua 9 dealing with the Gibeonites. I'm going to look at the first two verses. I'm going to look at it in sections as we always do. 1 through 2 and then 3 through 6 and so forth and so on so uh, we're going to see what's taking place here so it begins by saying verses 1 and 2 it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and in the coast all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard about it that they gathered to fight with Joshua and Israel on one accord. So what did they hear about? The victory that God had given them over Ai. Uh, Now, 
this word didn't spread instantaneously. Remember, back then they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have text messaging. They didn't even have like the Pony Express. <laughs> you know, uh, word just spread by word of mouth. You know, people began to hear about the exploits of Israel, just as Rahab, uh, when the spies went to uh, Rahab's house in the second chapter, Rahab had talked about the exploits that God had done among his people and that she on the other side of the Jordan and everyone else in Jericho heard about it. So the fame of God and his name has spread throughout all the known world at that time. And so now we see these nations heard about uh, the victory that God gave Israel over over Ai. So the Canaanite kings heard how the Lord had delivered Jericho to Israel. And they had reason to be afraid because they probably heard how it happened. That all they did was blow their horns and shout. Okay. And they heard about how the Lord had given them victory over Ai. They had reason to be afraid. So these pagan nations, these pagan kings had reason to be afraid of Israel. So it says they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So they're going to try to defeat Israel in the field of battle. In head-to-head -head competition. That's what they're going to try to do. Because uh, this didn't happen with Jericho. So now they're going to try to. All these nations. All these kings. Going to get all their people together. And try to defeat God's people. And what is something that we can learn from this in our day? The enemies of God will always try to thwart God's people and God's plans. But they will never ultimately win. They may win. Our enemies may win small battles. Our spiritual enemies. Our physical enemies. They may win small battles here and there. But they will not ultimately conquer God's people. Because we have Christ on our side. Christ is our banner. Christ goes before us. And Christ will not let us be defeated. So. We must understand that. The reason why Israel had this victory is because God was on their side. God gave them the victory over Jericho. God gave them the victory over Ai. The enemies of God saw it. And they sought to take on Israel themselves. Okay. So the Gibeonites approached Joshua and Israel in another way. Verses 3 through 6. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai... They worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins, torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. So they were very cunning, as it says in verse four. They worked craftily. They were they were cunning. This is how the enemies of God are. They're very cunning. This is how Satan is. Satan is cunning, very deceitful, very sneaky, uh, very conniving, as people say. This is how Satan is he's very conniving he's very cunning he's very 
deceitful. So the Gibeonites came to them. Now, what is it with the Gibeonites? They are pagans. They're pagans. So they tried to come looking what? Poor. You know, disheveled. They came with old sacks, old wineskins, torn and mended, old patches and old and patched sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves. They tried to present themselves as like sojourners, as, as travelers, as wanderers, as nomads. So the Gibeonites were willing to try to deceive Israel into making a peace treaty with them. Now, what was the problem with this? Look at Exodus 23 right quick, and we will see the problem with this. Exodus, the 23rd chapter. Excuse me. Exodus 23. And look at verses uh, 23 and 24. Now, for my angel will go before you. This is uh, after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh, God continues to give his commands to Israel through Moses. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I will cut them off. So this is God speaking of them when they go into the promised land. Forty years later. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars so Israel when able to go into the promised land they were supposed to completely conquer the whole land and not make any alliances not bow down to their gods nor serve them that's what they were tasked with doing and we see that in the book of Deuteronomy 2. God told them, you subdue your enemies. You don't take their, uh, their, 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 uh, their images. None of that. You don't make alliances with them. So they pretend to be ambassadors. They worked craftily back in our passage here. So they used a lot of deception. They were clever. They pretended. And they gave evidence as part of that deception. Again, we talked about the old sacks, the old wineskins, old patch sandals. Dry, even the bread was what? Dry and moldy. <laughs> I mean, they, man, they, this deception was, uh, was, was it. All their provisions, their bread were dry and crumbly, uh, which means molded. And they came to Joshua. They, they pretended to be from a far country. We have come from a far country. They, just, they simply lied. They hadn't come from a far country. So they came very deceptive. Now, Satan would try to deceive us into worshiping him, to forsaking God. He will present all the so-called good trappings of this world and of this life to deceive us. How did Satan tempt Eve? He deceived her. 
Eve said, uh, you know, of every tree of the garden we can eat, except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then what did the saints say? Did God really say that? He said, the serpent said to Eve, you shall not surely die. He deceived her. And what did the scripture say? Eve saw the fruit. She took it and she ate it. And then she gave it to Adam and he did the same thing. And after that, they realized they were naked. That's when sin entered into the world. By what? Deception. Satan always deceives. Remember this, people. Satan can't create anything. Satan himself is a created being because he's an angel. Angels are created beings. Okay? They're created. They don't just appear. Okay? Angels are created beings. And since Satan is a fallen angel, he is a created being. Okay? That means he has limits. He's finite. He's, he's not... He's not omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing like God is. He's not the I am who I am. Okay? Satan is a created being. So Satan can't create things. Only God is creator. Only God makes something out of nothing. Satan cannot do that. What Satan can do is deceive. He can deceive. But he cannot create but he can deceive. He can tempt, but he can't create. Okay? He tried to tempt Christ. See it in Matthew 4, Luke the 4th chapter, when Jesus was tempted three times by Satan. Satan does tempt us as believers, and he does try to deceive us, but he cannot create anything. Okay? Because he himself is a created being. So when we see this deception right here, these Gibeonites are acting in the role of Satan. They're, they're trying to deceive God's people. They're trying to deceive the people of God. And that is what our enemies are going to try to do. That's what our spiritual enemies, that's what the enemies of the church are going to try to do, is to deceive. And how do you deceive? By lying. And that's what our world tries to do, try to, tries to lie to us to deceive us. They lie by misusing the word love. The world says what? Love is love. People should be free to love whoever they want to because what? Love is love. That's what the world says. That's deception because you have to define love. What is love? That's deception that the world tries to use and and soft, uninformed Christians fall for that trap. Because if love is love, what if I say, I can marry my daughter? Love is love, right? But that's what they mean. No, they don't mean that. They'll say, well, where does love stop? You said love is love. That means that uh, two men, two women... They love each other. Where does love stop? So if you say love is love, what is your definition of love? I'm asking the world that. So they try to trick you through deception and lies to believe something is not true. To play on your emotions and your feelings. That's what these givenites did. They came looking all disheveled, you know, all worn out. Even their food was all moldy. They, they, they were deceiving 
And what do they say? Come make an alliance with us. <laughs> make a covenant with us. But we just read in uh, Exodus where God said, no, you don't, you don't worship their gods. So what happens? Look at verse 7 through 13. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, this is like the representatives of these groups, perhaps you dwell among us, so how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far away country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God for we have heard of his fame and that all he and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who was at Ashtoreth therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. This bread of ours, we took hot for our provision from the houses on the day that we departed to come to you. But now, look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins, which were filled with new and see, I'm sorry, which we feel were new and see, they are torn. And these our garments and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. Man, they, they're just playing this up. They're playing this up. So the, the Gibeonites were part of the Hivite population. They were, they were like a section of Hivites. So that's where that, that comes from. Okay, so the Hivites... The Gibeonites were among them. So they came and they, they kept putting that deception on. Now they were lying people. Yeah they did hear the fame of God. But they were terrified. What do we read in the beginning of this chapter? All those kings heard. About the fame of God. And they wanted to go to war. So what happens? The Gibeonites say okay we're going to deceive them first. We're going to tell them what? That we, we, we're your servants. That's their way of infiltrating the camp. By trying to get Israel to do what? Break covenant with God. Friends, Satan is very crafty. He's very cunning. This is one reason why we stay on our knees in prayer. And we stay in the word of God. To know what is true and what is not true to determine to distinguish between the truth and the lie because if we don't stay anchored in the truth guess what we're going to be swept away by deception we talked about that in Ephesians 4 a couple of Sundays ago being tossed to and fro that's why we need to be spiritually mature so we won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine we won't be easily deceived and look Satan works in churches Anyone who's preaching the false gospel is doing satanic work. They're doing the work of Satan. The Bible calls it the doctrine of demons. That's what false teaching is. It's the doctrine of demons. False teaching comes from Satan. 
It don't matter who it is. It could be a person that you like. It could be a church that a family member goes to. That doesn't matter. They are preaching the doctrine of demons if they are preaching false teaching. Because what are they doing? They're deceiving people. That's what they're doing. They're preaching the doctrine of demons. And that's what uh, the Bible calls it. The doctrine of demons. Want a proof text? Turn to 1 Timothy 4 and 1. This is deception. I'm talking about this in the context of this passage, how the Gibeonites came to try to deceive Israel, being deceptive, trying to sweep them up in their lives so that they can get them to break covenant with God. So look at 1 Timothy 4 and 1. This is what Timothy said to, to Paul. In a couple of weeks, we'll begin to this in our uh, call to worship uh, reading also. So 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the last days or latter times, some will depart from the faith. That means they're, they're going to become apostates. False teachers are apostates. How are they going to depart from the faith? By doing what? Devoting themselves, this is the ESV, to deceitful spirits and teaching what? Doctrines of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. That's what they do. They're preaching the doctrine of demons. They're not preaching the true faith of Jesus Christ. And we're in the latter times, of course. Those who hold to false teaching depart from the faith. People understand that. They depart from the faith. And this shows this teaching as being outside the bounds of true Christianity. And the source of this error is demonic. False teaching is demonic. Because they're teaching, uh, they follow, these teachers follow deceitful spirits. They're teaching the doctrines of demons. Satan deceives. He lies. False teaching is lying. False te teaching is what? Deceitful. So our church. I, I would never. I don't care who invites me. Or how much they pay me. I would never set foot in a false church. And preach. Never. And you know what? I wouldn't invite them to come preach at our church. To spread their doctrine of demons. Their, their demonic teachings. I will never do that. God will hold me to account for that. I won't do any alliances with them at all. Period. None. We can't get together and do anything. Because when you participate with them. You're basically approving. Of their doctrine. And approving of what they're doing. 
I've been asked before by certain pastors to, hey, let's get together and have a joint service and, and, and stuff like that. And, and I'm like, uh, no, I'm good. We're good. I, I've been asked that before by, by a few people. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. So these people, these Gibeonites are being very deceptive. This is how Satan is. Yeah, they heard about the exports of God. They heard about all that God did, all his fame, what he did in Egypt, what he did to Og uh, and um, Sihon. Oh, they say, yeah, they took all these provisions on the journey and look, it's molded, you know, so forth and so on. They were straight up lying. But despite their lying, guess what? They had pop admiration and honor for God. So this is the good strategy. They knew that they could not oppose Israel because they knew that God was with them. They talked about all these battles that they won, how they defeated uh, Egypt with God's help, how they defeated um, the two Amorite uh, kings. They saw all that. They saw those exploits. So they're basically saying, hey, we can't beat them. Let's join them. Let's deceive them. Let's infiltrate them. So what would we see in verses 14 and 15? Oh, boy. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua, the leader, made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. What was the old SpaghettiO commercial? Uh-oh, SpaghettiO. Y'all remember that commercial? Man, this is damning in verse 14. Israel did not ask counsel of the Lord. That's what the writer said, the narrator. This is a serious criticism of Israel and their willingness to trust in God. They neglected the insight that the Lord would have offered. So, and Joshua did it with them. So they didn't ask counsel of the Lord because the giving night deception was very clever. And it was powerful, obviously. The real problem, again, was that Joshua nor the leaders sought the Lord. That was the big problem, the big idea. So what did the men do? They took some of their provisions. They trusted their senses instead of trusting the Lord. They were saying, look at, the, look at this bread. It looks good. But the bread was stale. <laughs> but they still took it. How 
How much trouble do we find ourselves in for the very same reason that we don't seek counsel of the Lord? All of us are guilty of it. I know I am. We, especially in our culture in which we live now, we go more by our feelings. How something makes us feel. Than truly seeking counsel from the Lord. And look, where do we find counsel from the Lord? In his word. And through godly counsel of, of other people. Many times people don't seek godly counsel because they know that they're going to tell them what they don't want to hear. They want yes men. They, they want to be like uh, King Ahab who was mad when the true prophet came to him because he, he told the prophet that he always prophesies, prophesies evil against him. It wasn't he was prophesying evil. He was just telling Ahab what he needed to hear. So what did Ahab do? He surrounded himself with prophets who would tell him what he wanted to hear. He didn't want to seek counsel from the prophet of the Lord, the true man of God. Ahab didn't like that. I'm going to find that passage. It's in, it's in 1 Kings. Turn to 1 Kings. We're going to find that. Um that prophet uh, 1 Kings 22 <laughs> so <laughs> we're going we're gonna to see this right here 1 Kings 22 Ahab did not like this prophet at all Because Micaiah prophesied against Ahab. So looking at 1 Kings 22. So this is Ahab and the false prophet. So for three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, who was Ahab, said to his servants, Do you not know uh, that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we kept quiet and, and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go down with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. In other words, ask God, ask the prophet. <laughs> when the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. So they, guess what? They told him what he wanted to hear. But Jehoshaphat said, is there another prophet of the Lord whom we may uh, inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla, but I hate him. This is what the ESV says. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. So he did it reluctantly. Now the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Judah were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, blah, blah, blah. So going down here, verse 11, and Zedekiah, the son of uh, Kaniah made for himself horns of iron, iron and said thus says the Lord with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed and all the prophets prophesied 
so and said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But here comes Micaiah. And the messenger who went to Simon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. So he's basically telling the prophet, Hey, uh, agree with these other ones. Remember, we're talking about deception here. We're talking about not seeking counsel from the Lord, the, the true word. Verse 14, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me that I will speak. This is the counsel of the Lord. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Moth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep who have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said, Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? And he said, Israel is going to be scattered. He said, they're like what? Sheep without a shepherd. So he said, Ahab was not a, a real true king. And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and follow my Gilead? And one said to uh, one said one thing and the other said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Wow. That's what this prophet, that's what Micaiah told him, that the Lord put what kind of spirit in those prophets? A lying spirit. And this was to judge Ahab because he was a wicked king. Zedekiah came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. <laughs> so he said, yeah, if you come back. But guess what ended up happening? Ahab was killed in battle. Verses 29 through 36 talk about that. Verse 34, but a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until that evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset, a crowd went out through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country, just as the Lord had prophesied. So what's the point of all this? Ahab did not want to listen to the counsel of the Lord. He 
He wanted to listen to false prophets. He wanted to listen to people who would tell him what he wanted to hear. That's what a lot of false teachers do. They tell people what they want to hear. They preach to uh, itching ears. Paul said in the last days, men will heap upon themselves teachers. Men will have itching ears. They will heap upon themselves teachers. Why? Because they don't want to hear the counsel of the Lord. And what happens when you don't hear the counsel of the Lord? You're going to fall. Sometimes the counsel of the Lord is something we need to hear, even though it may be hard. But it's always good to hear the counsel of the Lord because it is always sure and it is always true and it's always good for us. Sometimes, you know, when I'm listening to preaching, when I'm out driving, I listen to stuff that convicts me. But you know what? I need to be convicted. I should never get to the point in my Christian walk where I don't feel convicted by any sound, solid preaching. Something is going to speak to sins in my life. But when the Lord does that, he does that because he loves us. Not to condemn us because, again, we're not condemned. Christ bore our condemnation. But conviction corrects us. Conviction leads us to what? Confession and repentance. Sometimes I get convicted because I'm not praying enough or I'm not reading the word enough or I'm not being a good steward of my time or not being a good steward of my, of my money or not being a good steward at work. You know, I, can, I get convicted by those things sometimes. That's fine. The word of the Lord, the counsel of the Lord is good for us. But when you're like Ahab and you don't want to hear it, or when you're like Israel and, 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 and Joseph, who's the leader of God's people, and you're like the leaders who don't consult the Lord, guess what's going to happen? Disaster. And that's what we see that's going to take place. So what happens? Verse 16 in this Passage back in Joshua 9. Now, they finally discovered the deception. <laughs> and it happened at the end of the three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were that. I'm sorry. They heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. They weren't sojourners that came from far away. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came into their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shipporah, Beeroth, and Kirjath Jearim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all that congregation complained against their rulers. Uh-huh. Then all the rulers said to all congregation, We are sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not test them. Why? Because they made a covenant. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore them. It's something that they were more faithful to that covenant that they made with them more than their covenant to God to not even uh, be a party to these uh, pagans. Isn't that something? They were more faithful to the covenant that they made to the Gibeonites that they would not harm them than they were to the covenant that they had with God. Think about that. The congregation complained. But the rulers had to do what was right and honorable before God. Even if it was a bad oath, 
But they were wise, you know, by not allowing one sin to follow another. They were very wise in that. Because it was pressure to do otherwise. We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. Now, it is a mark of godliness to keep an oath. It is because many people break oath. They, they, they break covenant. Psalm 15 and 4 says, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. They didn't go back on their word with the Gibeonites, but they did go back on their word, the covenant with the Lord, to not make covenant with pagans. But they were deceived. So you kind of see both sides of it. They weren't supposed to make covenant with the Gibeonites because they were pagans. They were part of the Hivites, but they were deceived. Man, but this was just the beginning. This is the tip of the iceberg of what was going to come in later chapters. So. Now. Later on, we'll see this in first Samuel, but King Saul had broke his vow uh, to the Gibeonites. So they said they weren't going to destroy them. So what happens next? Verses 21 through 27 as we get to the end of this uh, chapter. The leader said, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as rulers had promised them because they said they were what? They were their servants, right? So they were going to be serving. <laughs> then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us saying we are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed and none of you shall be freed from being slaves. Woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as a seen good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel. So they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Now he couldn't kill them, but he could control them. And that's what he did. He made them perpetual work people. They had to work for the tabernacle service. So they had to, you know, cut up the sacrifices, cutting wood for sacrificial fires and, and different things like that. So they got put to work. And the given I seem to be okay with it. You know, here we are in your hands, do as it seems good and right to do to us. They were like, okay, I mean, you know, whatever you do to us, that's fine. So the Gibeonites were okay with being among God's people. So this is kind of good in a way. That they were fine being around and in the midst of God's people as opposed to being what? Pagans. And why did they do this? Because 
they heard about uh, what God had commanded Moses. Because they knew where they would be without serving the Lord. They would be what? Conquered. They would be killed. So this is an interesting twist of the story. So the Gibeonites basically came to be among God's people. Although they were deceived, they were deceivers at first. They end up becoming part of God's people. They were willing to risk being pagans to be with God's people. That's that's where the twist comes in at. So this is kind of like Rahab. They came to the God of Israel as sinners. You know, Rahab was a harlot and the Gibeonites were liars. But what does this show? God can redeem whomever he wills. Now, Israel did a bad, did a bad thing by not seeking counsel from the Lord. But even in that, God is still what? Gracious. He's still gracious to us. Why was he not gracious to Rahab? Because Rahab was an evil man who didn't want to repent, who didn't want to turn to, to, to trust God. Ahab went after uh, Elijah, his wife Jezebel did. Jezebel killed the prophets. That was Ahab's wife. He couldn't control his own wife. Ahab had an unrepentant heart. But God showed mercy to the Gibeonites, and he showed mercy to Israel, although they did not consult him. They did not seek counsel from him. Just like Rahab, the Gibeonites were willing to forsake their former associations to be among the people of God. And we're going to see in the next chapter how this uh, plays out. They basically found salvation through the God of Israel. Now, after this ninth chapter, some great things happened with the Gibeonites. They became servants at the tabernacle, just as Joshua had commanded. So God took these pagans. And, and what does this show us? God is mighty to save his enemies. He's mighty to save those who try to deceive us, who try to deceive his people. God is mighty to save them. Anyone who comes to Christ, he will not turn away. No matter how deceptive. These false teachers. They're preaching false doctrine. They're bringing judgment upon themselves. But guess what? If they repent and turn to God and be saved. Guess what? He'll change their life. He'll change their preaching. People may leave from their church. But those who are the true people of God. Guess what they'll do? They'll stay. Because they'll want to hear the true teaching of God. They'll see how God has changed that false teacher. If they repent and turn to him and be saved. Just like these Gibeonites. The Gibeonites also uh, ministered in the days of David and Solomon. So the Gibeonites were not done away with uh, forever. The Gibeonites were among those who rebuilt the walls. In Nehemiah. Nehemiah 3 and 7 says, And next to them 
Melodia, the Gibeonite, Jadon, the uh, Moronothite, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, prepared the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. So the Gibeonites played an important part in redemptive history. And these were pagans, but they, they came deceiving. But guess what? God had totally different plans. The Gibeonites didn't, had no idea what God was going to do. And Israel didn't either. Although they broke covenant with these pagans, God still turned that into something good. And he does the same with us. He can take the message that we make and do what redeem us. These are just few examples of the great things that God can do with people who are sinners but come to him in humility and come to him in love. And that's what the Gibeonites did when they said, whatever you do to us, let it be done. That's humility. We're in your hands now. Although Israel didn't seek the counsel of the Lord, God still showed mercy to Israel. Although the Gibeonites came deceiving, guess what? God had mercy on them because Israel had every right to kill them. Because they deceived them, they had every right to just kill them. God is a merciful God. God redeems people. God redeems pagans to his glory. He saves them to the utmost. So those are some of the great things that we see in this chapter, that God redeems pagans. He redeems his people even when we make mistakes, even when we mess up, even when we sin against God. Guess what? He still shows mercy on us. And he still saves even pagans, even false teachers. He still saves. I think that's a good place to land. Amen. Amen.